Yes, yes. Work, work. What's up, everybody? This is Brandon from the Mondo Solution Podcast. That guy right there is Jordan. Jordan, how are you, sir? J-Dubs. I am magnificent and magnanimous Good. today. You're welcome Mag- for that shirt. Magnanimous. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this is the Mondo Solution Podcast, episode number 24, Jordan McDonald, Brandon Wood. Uh, we are here actually talking because we're part of Mondo Solution, and, or excuse me, Mondo Solutions, not to be confused with the Mondo Solution. And Mondo, uh, this is a marketing podcast. That's what this is about. It's about not necessarily all uh, like, here's where we're going to show this example of this company that Mondo has worked with. We're not going to sit here and pitch Mondo necessarily, although here and there that may happen. Um, but what we're here to talk about is just how people market what's the behavior behind it what's some of the history behind it uh this like i said a minute ago is episode 24 before we get into anything if you would please if you're listening to this on a podcast feeder whether that is overcast which is the best apple podcast for those three of you that are doing that um stitcher let's see spotify all of those things wherever you are please subscribe to this that would mean a lot to us um and by the way it means that you're more engaged with us and you can send it's marketing you see how we did that and it means that you can send us uh some feedback we'd love to hear from you guys anybody can send us feedback by emailing podcast at trimondo.com uh if you're watching this on youtube please subscribe hit that little notification bell which apparently does something that is really necessary in any event the point is Make sure that you're subscribed to everything that we do because we're brilliant. Um, and that's kind of it, you know, today. And by the way, uh, I frequently will gesture because Jordan and I are watching each other while we while we record. So we're using the, the same thing that if you are if you are on our YouTube channel, you're going to see the exact same thing. You're seeing me gesturing with my left hand like like a weird <laughs> sort of tick. Um, <laughs> you will. <laughs> um we're actually gesturing to each other here and there. I will do something visual like a Dumas, which is the French for dumbass. Um, and you're listening to it and you're like, what did he just do? Why is there silence? And Brandon is laughing at himself satisfiedly. So that's probably why. Today, Jordan, Today. I don't know if you know this. We are going to be talking about, uh, let's see, the psychology of marketing. Now, one could say... <laughs> that this is a deep topic. And this, of course, by the way, as soon as we're talking now, Adobe is like, I have to update Lightroom. <laughs> it just slowed. My camera just lagged a little bit. Yeah. Um, I noticed that. yeah. Chop, chop, chop. Sorry about that. But we're going to be talking about the psychology marketing. Now, what's interesting is that so much of psychology is what goes into sales. It goes into marketing. Um, there's a great book called The Challenger Sale and The Challenger Customer. Those are two separate books that I'm actually uh, going through for the second time right now that are really, really great. And what all of those things boil down to is how, how marketing, whether it's advertising, you know, because advertising part and parcel marketing, uh, how we reach the people that we want to reach. So, Jordan, you are the the ad, not just the ad guru, but certainly the ad guru at Mondo. Oh, crickets. <laughs> Lord, was I that boring? Oh, my God. <laughs> I feel so seen. <laughs> oh, man. I got this mixer board replaced as a tangent, and the cricket board button, it just randomly. <laughs> yeah, randomly. Ran- pointy it fingers. Really does. Randomly. <laughs> it happened so randomly the other day, I was like, I thought it was the other person. I was like, are you really, are you really doing this right now? This oh. is going really well. I just unplugged my microphone. Hold on. I'm getting there. Wait there for we it. Go. Now I'm back. Can you hear me? Wait for it. Wait. Okay. Yes, so now I can I hear you. you. At the, Guys, the this is going, listen, version. real time people. Now I can hear you, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Live. Right. This is where my ad skills kick in. Brandon, all right. If, we, if we're looking for another host for this podcast, <laughs> so the, the psychology of this can use is, technology. How do you come back from that? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. I just you unplugged bounce. my microphone, which also unplugged my headphones. So good. Times. Yes, you still sound like you're using. Not. Oh, really? Oh, hold on. Yeah. Uh, yes. Maybe you can force the situation. <laughs> that's weird. Yes, I'm gonna fix is. this, Jordan. While while I'm let me yes. talk, I'll yes. speak loudly. Um, while I fix this, I'm gonna let you talk. Uh, but talk about no worries. You're you're, yes. you're the Psychology. ad guru, right? You are yeah. the man 
as it were. I'm the man. Um, so talk about that. Like, how do you, when you're, even when you're setting up ads with a client, how does psychology play into that? And what I'm really thinking about there is what a client, so the advertiser in this case, or marketer, the, the company being marketed, perceives as opposed to what their client perceives. Now, ignore me while I mess with my microphone. <laughs> yeah, get at it. So really, it boils down, just as you said, there are two sides to that coin. From the our customer, from our client's point of view, they want to make an ad that captures what they imagine as being their ideal customer, which in many cases uh, very well could be. But in the format, in the structure, in the guide rails that you're provided in any ad space, what whatever platform you're using, you have to think about the wording. And the wording, or copy as we put it, the copy is so critical. You have to adapt the right voice, the right tone, the right the right style. Uh, and sometimes that those factors all congealed together are right. They can, they can be right from the, um, sorry, I just peaked there. Uh, they, they can be right from, from the client's perspective, but they can totally miss the mark for the consumer, for our client's client, right? Like if you adopt a a stone, a stone, (laughs) a tone or a style that's perhaps too technical, or, you know, perhaps it's it's like, yes, these are exactly our customers and we're going to use all of these different acronyms and five syllable, six, seven syllable words, uh, which I don't even know more than one of those. Then you can totally fly over the head of your potential client. Now, on the other hand, you don't want to shoot too low, right? You don't want to assume uh, that that your clients, e- even if this is a, a technical product or non-technical product that you're trying to sell, you don't want to assume that they're dumb, right? Like you don't want to shoot so low that they're like, these guys have no idea what they're talking about. So that's one point that is you have to adapt the tone. And you, if you don't attempt to see it from both sides of that coin, you're, you're going to miss out on that sales opportunity. Yeah. And, and by the way, so everybody listening, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to just be through my MacBook because uh, river what we use to record does not allow switching of microphones. I can mute my microphone, but we'd have to stop recording and we're just not going to do that. Uh, So I'll just speak kind of loudly and put my computer as close to my face as I can. (laughs) Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I I can. Okay, good. I can. Thank you very much. uh, Listen, dear listener for tolerating the lagging quality of the, of my side of the recording today. Jordan's is perfect. Um, Perfect. I just need to get a a new cord. That's right. Um, Anyway. So, Yes, I agree. And that's what the interesting thing is because we are we tend to be so insular in our view of things that we we can't step out enough to be the customer. You know, I, I will bring up roofing a lot because roofing is one of those industries where I have a lot of history as a as a salesperson, as a marketer. And one of the things is that a roofer will frequently, if I'm talking to a roofing company, they will frequently value proposition they'll talk about the value proposition of the shingles they put on. Oh, well, it's self-healing. It does this, it does this, it does this. Well, those are things that are very interesting to roofers, to people that are professionals in the roofing industry. But what about the person whose house it's going on? They care. Does it look good? Does my insurance cover it? Number two. And probably, is it going to protect my house the next time there's a hailstorm or whatever caused damage in the first place? Assuming it's not um, if it's in a place where there's no hail um, and no real damaging things, and instead it's just a roof that reached the end of its life over the last 20, 30 years, they're probably going to be less motivated by things that uh, are hail-proof, for instance, or wind-proof, and much more motivated by, again, how does it look? And how long is it going to last? Because while an insurance uh, insurance policy is going to pay for a roof replacement, you still have to come up with that deductible. And even if it's every five years to be able to fork out a thousand bucks or whatever your deductible is, is not nothing, you know, uh, especially in a hyperinflated economy. So, um, yeah, I think that putting ourselves into the viewpoint, almost the, the visage of the person who would want to be sold to is very challenging. Um, yeah. And especially because, uh, uh, and I say this as somebody who is in sales and marketing. Um, we uh, there's an arrogance 
there's an arrogance there and you go, oh, well, I know this, therefore I'm in this, therefore I know this. Well, that's not true. You know, we, we can't step back and look at ourselves. And there's so many people that are so hubristic and arrogant, fraudulent, um, that just will, will stick to their side of the aisle in terms of I'm this marketer. And yes, you want to appeal to authority, but only if the authority is genuine. Um, so in any event, I digress. We, I've got it. So we've got a couple things today, right? So Jordan has an article from uh, Forbes, and I have an article about a short history of the psychology for advertising. Now this is from, uh, and by the way, we'll put uh, links in the show notes that you guys can check out all these articles. Uh, the the article that I have, and I'm not going to do too much with it, but there are two people. Uh, one is John B. Watson, and one is Walter Dill Scott, and we'll kind of talk about them a little bit. Um, because they, they, those two, I think this article that I found, which, where is it from? Newdesigngroup.ca. That's like, so it's a boot up in Canada. It's just a boot <laughs> north of me. A boot. <laughs> is it a boat or a boot? I think it's a boat. A boot. A boot? Like the thing you wear on your foot in the winter? <laughs> no, like a boo from the Jungle Book. Oh, there's no T? <laughs> I'll have to consult with my Canadian brother. Dude, depends on his French Canadian or or no. not French Canadian. Canadian Canadian. <laughs> or well, don't take that personally. Yeah. Uh so Jordan, what your article from Forbes. Yes. Four this. yes. <laughs> yeah. This is from Forbes. Uh and you always have to consume content from the site while eating sorbet, mm-hmm. by the way. In the month of May. It's <clears throat> yes. very helpful. How is psychology applied in advertising and marketing, right? This is from just last year in October. I'm not going to read the whole thing, um, although it it isn't terribly long. Uh, (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) But uh, yeah, yeah, there's some interesting points, but let me set the stage with the, the first couple paragraphs here. So psychology is the science that studies human behavior, if you didn't know. And as a discipline, it can be helpful to apply it to the world of advertising and marketing in order to help improve the sales of a product or service. But what exactly does psychology and advertising and marketing consist of? What marketing strategies can companies take into account to reach their target audience? Advertising psychology is a branch of psychology that studies the characteristics and effects of advertising on the public. As an interdisciplinary application, the interests of the consumer converge with psychology, always around variables that aim to explain and predict with greater accuracy the psychological tendencies of consumption, taking into account persuasion, influence, and other means of communication. Thanks to the conclusions they can draw, advertising psychology can help companies better understand their consumers and design and implement much more effective marketing campaigns. Psychology has come a long way in recent decades, a reality that can help organizations better design strategies linked to this discipline, ultimately attracting the attention of an audience to your brand or product. These areas and strategies are numerous. And it goes on in a list here, uh, Mm -hmm. which is in the top level items are neuromarketing, persuasion, cognitive dissonance, emotional marketing, the Zygarnik effect, classical or instrumental conditioning. And I don't mean you should break out your woodwind instruments, Brandon. I see, I see you. you're itching over there. Um, yeah. Well, you know, why don't, why don't we just go through a few of these uh, and maybe sure. we can yeah. talk about each one. So All can right. I say something before yeah, we, please. before we get into it, one of the interesting things that Mondo does with each client that's coming in and again, I'm not saying this is a pitch for Mondo. I'm just simply saying it is, this is a statement of fact is that there's, especially when there's a new site being designed is a SIM meeting, a searcher's intent meeting. And so <clears throat> the, the goal being to say, what is the searcher? What is their intent when they arrive to a website? And it goes through things like what keywords would you search for? What keywords would you definitely not search for, by the way, which is an intensely difficult exercise to see what you would not market for or what you would not search for <clears throat> or what you don't want to be found for because you have to go back and forth between the searcher and then the the company that's marketing, I think, in that case. But so then it's also what time of day, what day of the week, what season of the year. You know, these are all things that matter. If you look in socials, when you're when you're posting to social media, if it's like Instagram or something, you there's a day and a time that you should be posting. Um, 
and and it's partially there there's some algorithmic play in there but a lot of it is when is it going to be seen if you want the most exposure so all of these mondo goes through and, and does that searches intent meeting so that everything thereafter is framed around what is the intent of the person searching for it so that we can best reach exactly who needs to be reached and when if that makes sense yeah yeah it's really well said it's yep. really it's really helpful to have that meeting for a client yep. uh, because without it you know it, it's all about spending right we want to be cognizant of the fact that money is finite mm -hmm. a business needs money to continue running our clients we want them to be in business because we both benefit it's a win-win mm -hmm. um and by going through this exercise, figuring out the reach, the personas, who to target when, um, that at least gives us a foothold, a jump start on the process of success, on the, the trajectory of success for marketing. Then we can better utilize and spend those ad dollars in a, a constructive, predictable way. Yes, yes, agreed. Uh, you want to take the first yeah, one? Yeah, so thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah do it. So uh, neuromarketing, uh, neuromarketing focuses on the brain and how it works. It is concerned with measuring users' reactions to a stimulus and looking for mental or physical changes. It is a broader concept because it encompasses all brain functioning and is not only related to emotions. I think neuromarketing is key at a time when brands are focusing more than ever on customer and user behavior, right? So we're, we're talking about, I mean, really, I think all of marketing um, could be boiled down to trying to, uh, psychology and marketing can all be boiled down, broadly speaking, to the study of how the brain works. Yes. Uh, and how do we, uh, how do we make the most? How do we capitalize on that? And I don't want to say manipulate or, you know, deceive because it's not, mm -hmm. it's not that it's, it's right. because ultimately we're trying to market products, anybody any company is trying to market their product and we're trying to help companies market their product to people who actually want it <laughs> and, yeah. and are going to buy it. It's not, it's not, uh, you know, we're not putting people to sleep, right? We're not hypnotizing individuals, uh, and, um, you know, <laughs> making them believe they want that baby bottle pop, uh, uh when really they're diabetic. Right. right. So, well, and what's interesting about neuromarketing, and by the way, I would say that the, de the difference there is deception requires intent, and they're definitely marketing agencies, some of which I could tell you uh, that uh, are deceptive um, in many different aspects. But, you know, a I think a lot of things today is people deceiving, uh, and it, I think it's hilarious. I, quite frankly, I think it's an effective marketing technique when you say something that is, it, you're, you're being you're trying to be deliberately deceiving so that the person being deceived understands that you're deceived. You understand they're being deceptive deceived because then they're kind of in on the joke. And I think it's actually an interesting part of neuromarketing. The other thing about neuromarketing is like, how does it function? Right? We're not, some of us are walking around. I don't wear an Apple watch. Uh, I'm not opposed to it, Loser. But, but, but some of those things that you may be looking at, I don't know if there's a measure coming from your Apple watch to a device. I would imagine not at this stage, but if you're on a, on a website, especially on your, especially on your phone, but even on a computer, laptop, desktop, doesn't really matter how you scroll is tracked or can be tracked, I should say. How you scroll, where you pause can be tracked. You can use things after the fact that kind of give you a retroactive perspective on where people uh, pause, so like Hotjar, right? So Hotjar is what's called heat mapping. And that's a really great way that you can go in and if you, if you don't know what Hotjar is, just search for Hotjar as one word and then do an image search. And you will see what it does is it shows you based on almost like, think about like a weather map where the storms are or something like that. It's going to show you where people go, not where they click necessarily, although clicks is part of it, but where they hover on a page, how much they scroll, wh what things, definitely what things they clicked more on. Because we have this behavior where we take our mouse cursor and we hover around the things that we want to read, right? Because we're basically monkeys. Um, so like, Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're not a basic monkey, you're a complex monkey. So, so I think that th those are interesting to be able to get neuromarketing metrics after the fact. And, and it also, 
if, if you're not after the fact and you're trying to be predictive about it, I think that's a recipe for disaster. Because again, that's a spot where you're going to try to predict what somebody's doing and you could frequently miss the mark because you have no empirical dat- data to back that up. Does that make sense? No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly where A-B testing comes into play, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then you're really able to nuance and split apart uh, those hairs and figure out, are people responding you know, neurologically to this design as they hover? Uh, yep. Are they more likely to convert? Are they more likely to click because of this design? Because the website claims to smell like roses and this other one claims to smell like daffodils or, you know, yeah. your favorite mammal. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, we're not in the fifth dimension yet, but design, it all factors in neurologically, how people perceive what they're seeing. Uh, but you won't know. You won't know if your target client uh, or your potential prospective target client or the client for your client is going to react in any different situation. So without testing it and teasing it apart, uh, yeah, you'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to move on to the next one? Yes, sir. Would you like me to read it? Or do you want to read it? <laughs> yeah. You know, you've persuaded me. I think I'll let you. Read it. <laughs> I see what you did there. So the next one is persuasion. Persuasion is one of the basic elements of advertising and of being a human, quite frankly. In fact, it is one of the most important factors that define advertising and make it possible to achieve the main objective, which is the sale. How can you best persuade in order to sell? When it comes to buying a good or service, users value, and I'm going to come back to that word, value and take into account many details. Not only do they pay attention to the product itself, but everything that surrounds it. For example, a customer, excuse me, a consumer considers the buying experience, the guarantees, and the values conveyed by the brand. Make sure your organization puts all these aspects, oh my gosh, aspects together into a holistic strategy to persuade customers of your product's service, product or services worth. So uh, here's the thing is that yes, persuasion obviously is, is kind of key in all of these things. I mean, that's what you're trying to do, but it must be value-based. It must be value-based depending on who you're talking to. So what is the role of the person? So I'll, I'll go to Roofer again. The, the mom of a house may be, maybe in this example that I'll use, more inclined to think about the design or the beauty or the cost effectiveness of a particular roofing process, getting a roof replaced, right? Uh, Whereas the dad, for instance, may be more concerned with, uh, does it look nice? How does it perform? Am I, is it going to shed water best? Like he's going to be more, and, and it's the difference between uh, males and females. I mean, that's these same things that come down. Um, women are much more, uh, I don't want to say concerned with in a negative way, because certainly not, but they're much more driven by the, the uh, frequently by the uh, aesthetics of it and kind of the cost of it where men are like, great, well, what is it going to do in terms of function? How is it that we're more concerned about the thing more than the feeling, you know? Um, And so I think that that's a big thing. But so what you have to do is depending on the buyer role, whether somebody's the economic buyer or the technical buyer, because that's what we're talking about. Um, The economic buyer is the one with the purse strings and effectively has to be told by the technical buyer, here's why this is here. And what all those things come down to is value. Because honestly, who cares what something costs if the value is there? Now, that's easy to say, right? If something's five bucks, but when it gets to a higher price tag, if you don't have five bucks, you don't have five bucks. But to be honest with you, in that case, if you've marketed properly, you're not marketing to somebody who probably doesn't have the money to spend with you. So I think, again, that's why it's hyper key to spend according to your audience's budget, what things are going to motivate them. If value, if cost is one of those things, fine, fine. I have no problem with that. But you really have to speak to the value of the person, the values of the person, and also what value, kind of separately, your product or service is going to bring to them. Because if there's a machine over here, I've probably used this example before. If you have a vending machine, old school Chuck E. Cheese, bro, and every time you put in uh, a dollar, it spits two out. But the catch is that you have to put in $10,000, but you're going to get $20,000 back. You would find a way to have $10,000 to put into that machine. 
but it might take you a while. You might have to save, so on and so forth. That means that the value is much higher than the cost, right? And I think that that really focusing on the value of that is what's going to move people and persuade them. It's going to motivate them to purchase. Yeah, well said. And I was uh, I took this from a slightly different perspective when I was thinking about mm. persuasion, and that was a potential client that's right there on the border. They're thinking about your product. They're doing some comparison with competitors. They're wondering, is this the product for me? And then bam, right on your site, they see nothing other than client testimonials, case mm -hmm. studies, right? Mm -hmm. This is, uh, amongst other things that this does for your brand, number one, increasing perceived trust, mm -hmm. perceived credibility. Um, it, I mean, and it doesn't have to be a perception. It can be a perception and the truth at the same time, right? That they're yeah. not mutually um, exclusive, right? But a client, sorry, a client seeing that, right? Seeing those testimonials, they're like, oh man, this, this Kathy had such a great experience with Jordan's number seven pencils. Yep. How could I not? Oh, and she kind of looks like me, this little, you know, a hundred pixel by hundred pixel image. <laughs> oh man, she kind of looks like me too, right? Maybe... Maybe I should just buy this product. Oh, well, look. And Jonathan, he liked it. He liked it so much that he bought an entire palette of pencils. Whoa. The palette was made of pencils as well. That's Whoa. part of our perk. Oh uh, yeah, if you're a premium pencil producing <laughs> Good Lord. Essence, I don't, I don't, no, no, that's not our target market. Anyway, uh, yeah, so client testimonials, it's a way to get people over that bump, right? Over that hump if they're on the fence, right? They're not going to shatter on the other side like Humpty Dumpty, but they're they're <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to abandon this situation. <laughs> but but so to your point, okay. So in the roofing space that I keep talking about, if you've got a, a company, you got roofing company, you got Jordan's roofing and Brandon's roofing, we're both going to bring six guys out that are both going to have the job done by the end of next Tuesday. That are you have no more out of pocket. It's the same cost, dollar for dollar, um, and you're using the same shingle. We're both using whatever, this Class 4 impact-resistant shingle from Malarkey or something like that, which is an actual brand, by the way. It's not just something our president rambles on about. So when these, when these shingles, we're dollar for dollar the same, Brandon's uh, roofing and Jordan's roofing. If you go to Jordan's website, and he has all these great reviews and Brandon's website is just saying, we're just touting the value of the shingle and the process and stuff. Well, you're still apples to apples with Jordan's roofing, but Jordan has all these people going, you know what? We had a great experience. So now you have persuaded somebody based on again, their value, because if you go down a kind of pros and cons list and you're again, apples to apples across the board, how do you stand out and persuade somebody to come in your direction it's tricky right but i mean i think it's there and this is why i like to jordan i'm glad you brought that up because reviews today are so important and not just review i mean yes google reviews i i'm sure there's a statistic out there somewhere probably accounts for better than 65 70 percent of all the reviews that are people looking at but people still look at yelp and facebook and whatever else some people like myself, especially if there's a larger purpose, I might just go Google somebody. I might just go Google Jordan's roofing and see how, what people have to say. And then you'll deep dive on like Reddit or something. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, looking at a 4chan thing all about how roofing sucks and we all need to put thatch roofs on or something. <laughs> but, hemp, 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 hemp. But I mean, honestly, that's where you need to meet people is how do you stand out in a lot of people just, oh, I don't need to be on Google, F Google. And I'm like, okay, okay, well, I mean, fine. But that's a much bigger hill to climb then. So just saying, how do you persuade? Cognitive dissonance. <laughs> Cognitive I'm disown you. <laughs> Keep mispronouncing words. That's right. Cog what's the value, Jordan? Is, it the, value the, is, is it the $2. meaning behind the word or the pronunciation of the word? It's my soul in the afterlife. <laughs> okay, there you go. Fair. Um, cognitive dissonance is related to satisfaction. If we choose a product that does not satisfy us 
and that is not coherent, we feel bad. Cognitive dissonance is a strategy that helps a consumer to know how useful the product will be so that he or she feels satisfied and does not question the purpose. Like, I saw something the other day. Oh, there's a, there's a, it's a Reddit thread and it's called DIY, but it's D-I-W-H-Y. I strongly recommend everyone check it out. And it's basically <laughs> people doing DIY. It's like, why did, but okay, I get that you did it yourself, but why did you do that? And oh my God, I'm going to have to find an example and send it to you while we talk. But uh, again, like this is where you have to align your values as the marketer with the person that you're trying to market to. I think it's hyper important because that way you eliminate cognitive dissonance. No one's going to care about your impact resistant shingle or your number eight pencils because if you're going to sit there going, hey, I'm perfectly satisfied with my number two pencil that I've been using on Scantrons for years. So just saying. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Just the first DIY video on Reddit right now. And, and sorted by hot is yeah. this is this lady who loves cats so much that she made a litter box that filled with things that look like a cat's litter, but it's actually all edible. And she eats it from the cat litter box scooper. That's oh, I'm looking at this. This is disgusting. This. Yes. DIY kids DIY why did you do it (laughs) because I love my cat I'm getting okay I'm just gonna finish two more seconds of this and then you gotta be kidding Uh, and here's one where a guy covered an entire car with nickels yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) but why why Dude. Or a 2011 Ford Fiesta custom chopped. <laughs> for, for, yeah. The first comment on the nickel one is they wanted to quadruple the value of the vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> so there's cognitive yeah. dissonance there because our brains go, why do you need to? You have to ask that question too. Why? Why? And is it going to matter? Now I've just given Jordan a yeah, the, hole to go down. Uh, yet again, the tabs I have from Brandon's recommendations are just... I need a new browser. But to be, hey, call back to last episode. You did watch Ex Machina. Yes, I did. Yeah. It's crazy good, right? That it was. I can't believe I hadn't seen it. I was glad that I had had not uh, had not been spoiled. You know, I had not uh, had any alert as to what it was going to be about or um, yeah, how it yeah. ended. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was taking place in Zuckerberg's island somewhere. Yeah. 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 But probably yeah. <laughs> New Zealand or something. Yes. Emotional okay. marketing. Your turn. Yeah, I'm getting yes. really hot under the collar right now. <laughs> uh, just because of your sheer beauty. Emotional oh. marketing aims to create an emotional relationship between the brand and the public so that they feel it. They feel it. So they feel it as their own. Yes. Have you ever wondered why you like the brands you like? This gets back to the why. And the critical thinking, right? Critical thinking, how important that is. It's probably because this connection you have with your brands is probably because they awaken an emotion in you, some sort of feeling that leads you to it. It's like me with Apple products, right? I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know why. <laughs> I'll have to make a Reddit post on it. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I, right. I guess it was magical. The first Apple product. Uh, I ever purchased not a, not that I used, but the first one I ever purchased was an iPod, mm-hmm. uh, and then an iPhone uh, in that order. And yeah, it was just it was just such a magical experience. And maybe that's because of the the difference between uh, you know I had I had had no MP3 player before. I was coming from a CD player, so it's a it's a you know, and the iPhone. I mean, I had had cell phones before, but it's just like oh my goodness, it blows you out of the water. And because mm-hmm. of that. I am predisposed to forever having a deep emotional reaction to any new Apple product because it gives me that like huge boost of serotonin anytime those release notes happen. Right. So, I mean, that's easy for me to say, Hey, I see a direct correlation and causation between Mm -hmm. a company and the products and services sold by that company that I spend 
great deals of money, vast tracts of land, vast, vast sums of money on, uh, and, and that I love, right? However, I'm sure there are other brands and products that I use that I have not yet questioned why, mm-hmm. but there's a reason. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So Apple, I mean, if you've read, I'm sure you read Walter Isaacson's uh, biography of Steve Jobs, and <clears throat> it's really great. And everything that Jobs did um, was about that. Well, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm about to edit myself. It was. I'm just going to say it's all about the user experience, but it's not really because at one, I think there's a quote that in that book or somewhere that says the cust- how do you know what the customer wants? And he said, well, they'll want because we'll tell them what we know what they want because we tell them what they want. And, um, I think that that's, that's an important thing, but you still have to recognize what's important to somebody. So he was going for that very pure design, uh, like Bauhaus. He, he quotes, they point to Isimiyaki a lot, which by the way, Isimiyaki's, Cologne is one of my faves. Anyway, um, but they point to that a lot because this was what was driving people. It was driving everything from the retail experience to the computer itself. I mean, you know, obviously there was this uh, evolution from the Blueberry computers, even from the the OG Macs, which were that weird color in between gray and brown. It was like grayish, <laughs> sort of beige. It's known as beige, <laughs> but I feel you. You know, it's a weird yeah. color. Like I had an Apple two E, bro. Like legit. I wish I still had it. I know we talk we about this. Lot. My two C's on yes. the shelf over here. You got it. Be for so much. <laughs> then I could buy those vast tracts of land. You just lose it. <laughs> so um, those, but then, but then you had this machine that worked that did for you. It functioned as you needed it to because. Like, I don't think we've talked about this, but like OG computers, which were like card based computers, they were there to compute something. They did a, they performed a function, whether it was like uh, thousands of lines of mathematical equations or whatever it is. But now we think of a computer as something much, 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 much different. You know, we use it for searching for information that we don't know, um, basically. And, it's still what it wears the value relative to um, somebody's experience. And if you can take the experience that on a Mac and on a PC are going to be the same relative to their browser, because everyone uses Chrome, which that's a separate conversation, but everyone can use the same browser except for the six people that you still use Internet Explorer. Why? You can't, you can't use Internet Explorer anymore unless you like aren't a lit. Yeah. Wait, you can do IE mode and edge. Anyway, you can't at all. Yeah, it, it, well, I mean, I'm sure there's some computer that you can still run it on, but it, you can no longer, it's no longer included in Windows. Oh, right, right, yeah, right. Anyway. But you can get you, it. Yeah, sure. it's not going to work on most websites, but yeah, sure. It's the people that are just still running XP on a computer from <laughs> yeah. 2008. Yeah. Um, though, so you can have the same experience in the same browser, but if Apple can, so I have a magic mouse here. If Apple can make just the mouse, they effectively reinvented the mouse, right? And make it that much sleeker and smoother and there's no buttons really and all this stuff. You win because you have gone above and beyond and you have marketed to somebody and just by making a thing, the cool thing. I'm, yeah, that's where the difference is going to come. And some of the time it's going to come down to price tag. I get it. A Mac is definitely more expensive than a PC, but... You not know, necessarily. Where's the, not necessarily. I'm just going to play devil's advocate. Not, yeah. Not necessarily, especially with their own silicon chips these days. The performance and price, uh, price to performance differential is. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you could. I think entry level, you could get a Mac Mini, non-portable, but what, four or five five hundred dollars. Uh, yeah. That's. I mean, it, you'd be hard pressed to get something that cheap just as an entry level computer, new in Windows land. Uh, for yeah. their laptops, you know, a thousand dollars entry level, but that, but that performance, you know, beats oftentimes fifteen hundred, two thousand dollar Windows laptop. Of course, you yeah. can pick up a cheap Windows laptop for five hundred bucks. So, yeah, oh, but yeah. it's 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 closer than it has ever been. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I mean, again, where it it's going to come down to all things being equal, where where can you place value, and that's going to be again back to the emotional marketing piece. Where can you pull at somebody's heartstrings? Nostalgia is a big piece of that. I've talked about, I know I've talked about before, 
um, when I was either 12 and a half, 13, and I got a razor in the mail from Gillette. It was a Mach 3, I think. Anyway, it was whatever that first razor was where it was like, oh, look at our blades. We got 70,000 blades. And um, then I used Gillette ever since. Now, in recent years, that's not necessarily the case, but that was a, a deliberate choice on my part. But Gillette was the jam, right? And I still have a Gillette razor. Um, and they do a good job, you know. But it, when you can... And this is why if you if we look at all... if we This is going to be a weird turn, but bear with me for a second. All uh, authoritarian dictators. So Stalin, Mao, uh, all of those guys. Mussolini. Hitler. Huh? Mussolini. Mussolini yeah. Castro. They all... Funny, there's a common thread there, I feel like. <clears throat> they always say, if we have the kids, we don't need you. Right? So they always appeal to the younger audience because nostalgia is probably, and again, this is a, we should actually do something. Nostalgia marketing would be a great future episode <laughs> because I think the nostalgia is one of the most hardcore driving factors because you don't even have to do anything. Once you get somebody on board when you're a kid, you are on board, dude. Like I see those like old school McDonald's glasses that you could get that would have like, um, Oh gosh, they would like, they were licensed. So they would have like, I don't even know the Flintstones or something on these glass. You would get from McDonald's and it would be like a glass, like a glass glass. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, it was look up McDonald's looking, collectible yeah. oh, cool. glasses. Oh yeah. Not necessarily the Flintstones, but like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you can see those today if you're a kid of the 80s and um, and you're going to be like, oh, my God. Let's I had no classes. idea these existed. Oh, bro. You got Hamburglar. <laughs> yeah, there's some with little, Snoopy and Mickey Mouse. Little Snoopy action. Yeah, dude. It's what's up, man. What's up? Yeah. Isn't that wild? They can't give away glass oh, anymore. Did I just freeze everything? Not not for me. Oh, you look good on my There we side. go. Okay, good. Yeah, but isn't that wild? Yeah. They would do these series of glasses, which are actually like, look, you've got this series. Right here. I'm looking on eBay. 75 bucks for a set of six glasses. Yeah. <laughs> isn't that crazy? It is crazy. Yeah. You could get those. And Coca-Cola does a nice job of that because you get their bottles and it's got the kind of, not the etched, but like the embossed glass and things like that. Anyway, I digress. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Emotional marketing is very important. Yes, yes, it is. And uh, yeah, let's, um, I know we want to get to your article too, here. right? We, That's okay. We can, we can, I mean, my, this is covering pretty much everything, but uh, yeah, let me go through really quickly yeah. these two guys. So uh, a really quick couple, uh, one paragraph biography. John B. Watson, 1878 to 1950, was an American psychologist who conducted psychological research into advertising amongst, amongst other things. He had a controversial career in part due to, his, due to his academic work on conditioning who? Children. Um, and also for a scandalous divorce. After being fired from his academic post at Johns Hopkins, he moved on to U.S. advertising agency J. Walter Thompson. Um, so three he had three spits. Watson headed a number of successful advertising campaigns and his high profile ponds, cold cream adverts commonly had three specific elements. One, it evoked or they evoked an emotional response Two, gave instructions on how to use the product. So what they've done there is align the emotion with the actual practical value of it. And three had direct testimonials. Those are, those are so huge. And that's everything that we've been talking about, right? I mean, each of those aspects is something that is hyper important here. Jordan, I'll throw this into the, yeah, yeah, please, the please chat here. Wait, where's my chat? Oh, there it is. Boom. Um, so that you can see it. Um, and then the second thing. So Walter Dill Scott, 1869 to 1955 was another influential American psychologist in the world of advertising. An advertising executive approached him in the early 1900s who wanted to make his marketing more effective. In 1903, Scott published his first book in this area, the psychology called The Psychology of Advertising in Theory and Practice. His theory was that emo evoking emotions, sympathy, and sentimentality via advertising or advertisements 
could easily influence customers. Instead of, instead of seeing advertisements as a source of information, he believed he believed they were the primary, or they were primarily for persuasion. His recommendations to advertising agencies were number one: give direct commands to use the advertise product, such as use Hoover vacuum cleaners. Number two. Use return coupons, as this requires the customer to take action. Number three, use illustrations in adverts, which must attract plenty of attention. Number four, place adverts in publications, which instill confidence in the consumer. Uh, so one of those things, if you place an advertisement in like Cracked Magazine for something that's really expensive, it's probably not the right place. By 1910, Scott's techniques were commonly used in America, and in 1913, he proposed an advertising model which outlined the various stages that a customer must be taken through before they will buy a product. Step one, gain the viewer's attention. Step two, focus the consumer on the message so that they have, a pos or have positive feelings about the product or service. Number three, make the consumer understand and remember the message. And number four, cause the consumer to desire the product and take the desired action i think the cool the cool factor that's the thing that moves the needle today there is a there's a billboard i'll try to find this i forget what it may have been on reddit it was a billboard near heathrow i think in london mm -hmm. and it was a video billboard do you know about this it has to deal with tracking Yes. So the way that this billboard worked is that there's a little, it's a video screen and there's a little boy on it and they had and the little boy would stand up and he would point at the sky and it, at different places. And this whole video would loop and loop and loop. And it was several minutes long. It wasn't just like one point and it wasn't a still image where they were pointing him to the left, to the right and so on and so forth. He was moving. And what they did was they had, um, they knew the <clears throat> approach or takeoff paths of planes that were at Heathrow. And this little boy, yes, exactly. And this little boy was pointing at a plane and going, hey, look, that's British Airways 475 <laughs> from Barcelona. And he'd walk off the screen pointing and following it. It's freaking brilliant. It's like an, it's like an interactive but not interactive thing. It was very cool. As the plane passed overhead, the little boy is looking and pointing at it. Brilliant. This is super brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, I can't imagine what had to and go people, into that to make that work. <laughs> yeah, and so think about just that billboard. You've got the uh, you've got the cool factor. You've got an actual interactive factor where people are looking and going, "Oh my gosh, that took so much. I want to find out more about this." Oh, you mean that's a flight going to Barcelona? Oh wow, that's awesome. I've always wanted to go to Barcelona. And then you've got the kids element because we have this soft gooey center most of us um that we we're just we were a call to the appeal of innocence of kids and things like that so anyway i just find it brilliant and all of those things again i think that's why the emotional side is probably the most persuasive ironically absolutely you know? i think it's the thing that that sticks with us i think it's something that really differentiates us as advanced monkeys yep um compared to <laughs> Some of us. <laughs> yeah, again, speak for yourself. Uh, and it, yeah, I mean, once you have that emotional connection, it can be hard to disconnect that because it's not something, yes. you know, it's it's like the trichotomy of control and stoicism, you know, it's, or we could just use the dichotomy. It's easier. Some things we have control over and some things we don't have control uh -huh. over. And, uh, you know, maybe in the trichotomy, there's that third where we have some control. And yeah, there's evidence that supports the notion that we can over time work to disconnect certain strong emotional associations in our brain, uh, in those synapses. Um, I'm sure I'm using the wrong word, but yeah, but they're strong and it's not something you can yeah. turn on and off with a light switch once they're in place. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like your first, uh, what am I trying to say? When you meet somebody first impression, yeah, yeah, right. First like that can it's pretty strong, and th that that sentiment, those emotions, those uh, that that feeling of of disgust uh, <laughs> after you smelled the brute cologne, it just never goes away. By Faber J. <laughs> <laughs> brute by Faber J. <laughs> I know I just whispered in the microphone, and yeah, I'm not even using this microphone you that keep I whispered doing into. Doing that, I like it. But 
yeah, man, it's it's that first impression. That's why it's so over the top important. You know, people don't take into consideration all of those aspects. They just they some people just go straight for the sale and they're just hard selling. And then what you wind up with is you you talk something up to the degree that you can't possibly follow through, and therefore you disappoint people. Therefore, again, the reviews suck. Sorry. Yeah, and reviews are major, 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 major. Are All major. right. Yes. Moving on here. Zygarnik effect. effect. Do it. New to me, it is a strategy based on the creation of expectations, as you were saying. It does not work well if there is no motivation to achieve the objectives. This strategy is widely used in the world of television, for example. When an episode of a series ends, and clips of the next episode are shown in order to create need and suspense. And that's exactly where I hit the I pull I pulled the entire power to my house. Honestly, I just I throw the switch. <laughs> I don't want any spoilers. You know, it's like my buddies that are always watching trailers for movies. I'm like, why? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Yes, I get it. You don't want to sit down and get into a movie and then realize a few minutes in you don't like it. Right. But I mean, if you sit down and you're a few minutes in and you do like it, but you already have seen the best scenes from the movie and you kind of already know how it pans out it to me, that spoils it. Right. And uh, conversely, sure. Going into it unspoiled trailer free, realizing this is absolutely terrible and you don't even want to hate watch it. You just turn it off. You just, yeah. you just turn it off. Um, so, I think I've gone off the rails here, but <laughs> no, but it's a cliffhanger. I, I, you're right. It's I mean, and that's, and that's what it is. It's, you have to kind of help to set that expectation. That's why I feel like you want people. Um, okay. So an objective is effectively a goal and the initiatives are steps along that roadway to the initiatives are the steps that people use to achieve that goal. So what are their objectives? Their objective is to go on an amazing Alaskan cruise. How are you going to do that? Hey, listen, we're going to help you with that. We're going to hold your hand. We're going to make sure that you are packed. We're going to send you this thing that's going to give you a checklist of all of the things you need. We're going to get you pumped up. We're going to help you save money for it. We have this deal with this partner over here that's got a really great Alaskan suitcase package. I mean, what the hell ever. It's waterproof. And you, you have to give... That's right. You have to give people that motivation to not just achieve their objectives, but to take the initiative to achieve their objectives. It's interesting. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's good. It's kind of those cliffhanger clips, you know, and, and to your point, a movie preview is exactly that. It's a cliffhanger clip. And then and then what happens is people watch something, they get involved in the sunk cost fallacy. And so they're like, I'm just going to watch this because it can't possibly get worse and then it gets worse. <laughs> so people do that by the way people do that with marketing <clears throat> i know people that are with marketing agencies that they hate and in any i know people that are with banks that they hate it um, providers so i it provider i'm about to leave a bank today that i hate SVB? um i haven't been how uh, was no, um, although I know somebody who worked at SVB previously, um, <clears throat> but they I haven't been using them as my bank for a, quite some time now, but they've just kind of they're not doing anything for me. And the account is just sitting there doing nothing. And then the other day, because, again, I don't there's no money in it, but some charge <laughs> yeah. came out on some renewal thing and it threw me it overdrafted. And I was like, you <laughs> son of so guess what? That no, I, they don't care about me, but that account is gone. So anyway, I don't know what they're supposed to do. It's not necessarily their fault, but they're just sitting there. You would think that anyway. It doesn't really matter. Go down a rabbit hole there. So the final thing I want to mention today, because I got to jump onto something, but is classical or instrumental conditioning? Okay. Cla oh, my phone is ringing. Pardon the buzzing in the background there. Classical conditioning is a strategy based on highlighting attributes that are not always linked to the product or service advertised by the brand or company. Whereas instrumental conditioning is one in which the real characteristics of the product are explained. The latter should be used whenever the product or service has superior characteristics to its main competitors. Okay. So 
some of that conditioning where you're so what was it was it mazda that did the zoom zoom thing and it's some little kid and they tried to do those both those things okay fine that is a little bit more instrumental sort of but then conversely to that subaru made their they had that whole love campaign okay who cares it's classical <laughs> it did yes it's classical does your product do what it sets out to do and maybe i'm not saying it doesn't i'm not digging on subaru at all uh good good vehicle but like who cares why are you doing that i feel like in that case that i don't i don't resonate with that uh campaign there's that is a good car especially in colorado it gets good mileage it does well in variable weather conditions so that should have been the motivating factor why are you sitting there going subaru is love it's not dude sorry sorry now granted there's no need for need there's no need for help selling subarus in colorado where I, where we live but still Anyway, it's very interesting when people do that and they're like, oh, look at this thing. Look at this puppy dog. Go to a monster truck show. And you're like, what? The America. What? Yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> it's very interesting seeing the, how those things line up and how we are manipulated by them, I guess would be my point. Oh, there. oh absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, just to, to nicely dovetail this, there yes. is a lot as you can tell, that goes into every decision that is made, hopefully, by your marketing agency to determine the right yep. ad, the right platform, the right format, the right time, the right dot, 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 dot. There are so many variables that need to be considered, or at least should be considered, to effectively run yes. a winning campaign for you, to, to draw more clients, mm -hmm. more eyes, more dollars, your direction. And yeah, oftentimes, right, Oftentimes there's too much to consider as an individual. There's too much cons to consider for, for me as an individual. And I'm the ad specialist, right? Amongst other things. That's why we have the team, right? Mm -hmm. That's why you need a team. I'm not directly pitching for Mondo here, but you really do need sure. a breadth of experience and knowledge to pound away at the singular issue of creating solutions for a client in their advertising strategy and their marketing strategy more broadly. I also think that revisiting campaigns and refreshing, how are you determining where these values lie? And I think that taking a look back and revisiting exactly what has moved the needle for current clients and asking those current clients, hey, you've just put on a roof, Jordan's roofs is just some, which roofs with exclusively with pencil <laughs> shavings, has just, <laughs> just put a roof on somebody's house. Um, and and you go you go and you ask your client hey thank you so much for choosing us why did you choose us ask people dude it's not like you have to be some big firm that needs all this like focus group testing to figure these things out ask your clients they will tell you and if they don't want to tell you they won't tell you <laughs> it's 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 truly yeah it's a frustrating thing when people uh don't ask the simple question that's right in their face of the people that have the answer to that question. So I've, I find it very interesting. So my point being that when you have an agency, revisit things, revisit what the agency is doing for you, really take a look at your metrics. So many people get into their metrics and they go, oh, I don't understand this. And they don't take a second. It's not hard to understand. Did the needle move or didn't it? What was option A or option B more effective? You don't have to be a hyper nerd to get into the weeds of a particular campaign, but you can see if it affected your bottom line or not and revisit it, pivot. If so, for instance, again, roofing companies, 2019 was the last really good hail season in terms of, well, if your homeowner is really crappy hail season, but if you're a roofing company, really good hail season, because there's a lot of hail until this year. And so for the last two and a half, three years, those companies had to pivot. What were they pivoting to? Because all the hail damage, you know, it ran out 2021 um, and they had to for the last two years, they had to pivot to customer service, expertise, different geos, you know, whatever those appeal to emotions are. 
Um, hey, let us help put a roof on this home, which is where your kids were born, where you can enjoy the outdoors, where you can put your kid to bed under a roof protected by malarkey class four shingles. These are things that move the needle, but you have to revisit it because otherwise you get stuck on, oh, this shingle is great. It can stand up to a three Newton meter four. And you're like, what? Shut up. Listen, can I put my kid to bed underneath it? Are they going to be protected? Good. Got me. So revisit those things. I think an agency, any agency worth its salt um, is going to do that and help you help hold hand, hold your hand through that. Absolutely. Process. So, so <laughs> yes. Well, if you enjoy listening to this brilliant podcast and you would love to sac- psychoanalyze Brandon or myself or us together, thousand dollars an hour. Yeah. Uh, wait, who's charging who? I'm not <laughs> sure. But if you like what you're listening to, if you have <laughs> questions for us, if you want us to dive deeper in some of the, uh, some of the details that mm. uh, we've discussed or some of the things we've, only had a brief amount of time to arch over. Please let us know. Drop us a line. Podcast at trimondo.com. You can also like and subscribe. Hit the bell on YouTube. You know, make sure you are sending us messages. We get so much mail. It's impossible. So much. (laughs) I mean, right now I have an emotional reaction to how much mail we're getting. And it's, it's just, it's just overwhelming, but lots of love. I can't even make a heart. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, is it that way? Okay. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) well, my fingers don't do that. (laughs) Thank you. I really appreciate everybody listening and watching. It means a lot to us. And I I really want to shout out special thanks to our co-host, Brandon Wood, for always being on top Woo-hoo! of his game, even when his microphone. Sorry for the, not, yeah, <laughs> not being on top of the microphone working. Sorry about that, guys. I'm literally going to order a new cord as we hang up, so it'll be fun. Thank you all. Ah. Yes, thank you, George. Until next time. Episode one hundred four. <laughs>